calling all aspiring investment professionals. Get a leg up on the competition. Final registration for the August CFA exam ends on May 14th. Register now to secure your spot. The CFA designation is a gold standard in the investment world, opening doors to high-powered careers and impressive salaries. Head over to cfainstitute.org to register. Don't wait. Take control of your finance career today. Hello and a very warm welcome to this episode of Take 15. I'm Lauren Foster, Content Director with CFA Institute, and joining me today to talk about compassionate communication is Amy Florian. Amy is CEO of Core Genius, a consulting firm that teaches financial services professionals how to support their clients in times of grief, loss, and transition. She's also the author of No Longer Awkward, Communicating with Clients During the Toughest Times of Life, and over the past 25 years has helped more than 2,000 grieving people. Welcome, Amy. Thank you so much for being here. Now, anyone watching this program will no doubt be familiar with the phrase, nothing is certain but death and taxes. And yet we live in this death-denying culture. We can barely say the words died or death. Now, you, on the other hand, have embraced this area. And you are, I believe, a trained thanatologist. So let's start there. What is a thanatologist? Thanatos is the Greek word for death. So in narrowest terms, thanatology, ology is always study of. In narrowest terms, thanatology is study of death. But the, the broad spectrum of the field is that I study death, loss, grief, aging, and transition. Because they're all connected. Grief is triggered by way more than just a death. And walking people through all the transitions that they go through, the principles are the same. The skills are the same. You tweak them a little bit for the situation. But when you know how to walk people through difficult transitions, then it can be any transition, not just death. Let's talk about that a little bit more because you say that it's important to understand that uh, grief is not just about death. Um, help us understand what would be other examples of grieving. Grief is triggered by a break in an attachment. Anytime we are attached to someone or something or a function or ability or a dream, anytime we are attached to something and we have to let it go and go forward and learn how to live without it, that triggers grief. There are several accepted grief triggers in the field. One of them is relationship loss. And that, of course, when somebody dies, you lose that relationship. But you may also lose your relationship with the in-laws if it's your spouse who died. Or if it's your child who died, you might lose relationships with your friendship circle that was centered around your child's activities. When you're grieving, you might lose relationships with friends who don't know what to do with you anymore. There's multi-layers to the relationship loss. Certainly divorce causes relationship loss. An estrangement in the family, getting, uh, moving farther away from a cherished friend all kinds of losses that involve relationship. Material loss is the loss of a possession or an object, like a, a house burns down or you get robbed, your favorite car gets totaled, um, you lose money. There's any, any material change, and it can be positive or negative. You win a lottery. There's a grief associated with that because it changes your entire identity. 
It changes how you think about the world. It changes how you think about your friends. You know, do they really care about you, or is it just about the money? Things like that. Function loss has to do with our abilities. And this is very prominent in those uh, diagnoses of degenerative diseases, ALS, Parkinson's, dementia, where their function is diminishing inch by inch, and they grieve every inch of the way, and so does the family. But any other kind of losses, too, as we age, function losses, role loss when a caregiver becomes a care receiver, or vice versa, when a stay-at-home parent has to go back to work, when an adult child has to change the parent's diaper, changes in our role in the world, in our church, in our friendship circle, those trigger grief. Changes in um, a loss of a dream. We call this intrapsychic loss. You know, I always thought by the time I was 50, I'd own my own business. Well, now you're 55 and you know you never are going to. Or we were going to travel the world when he retired. He retired and he died of a heart attack. When someone dies or you get divorced, you lose your dreams. When a child is born with disabilities, your dreams for that child. And that's a big loss. So we've all been in these uh, awkward situations where we're confronted with a death and we don't know what to say. Do I say I'm sorry? Do I not say I'm sorry? And listening to your presentation earlier, I understand that saying something like I'm sorry probably isn't the best thing to say. So help us understand what would be comforting words in those kinds of situations. What should we be saying? When we say I'm sorry, part of the problem is precisely that everybody says it. Grieving people get tired of hearing, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And especially because some people truly, genuinely mean it, and other people it's just the automatic response. It also cuts off the conversation. Because if they say, I'm sorry, how do you even answer that? And if you do answer it, you know, say, thank you. <laughs> that doesn't quite fit. But then where do you go? Then there's this big white elephant, it's in, and it's very awkward. The principle to keep in mind is that what people need is to tell their story. So instead of saying something to them, especially something about you, you want to ask them something about them. If I'm talking in casual conversation to someone and they mention, well, when my sister died three months ago, I'll say, oh, was it, did she die suddenly or was it a long illness? What was that like? What was her name? Were you close to your sister? Just very easy, casual questions but the stories come pouring out because what people really need is to tell their story. Do you have a favorite question and one question you hear over and over again that, that people wish they had heard from someone during a grieving process? My personal favorite question is what do you wish people knew? What do you wish people knew about what it's like to hear the word cancer come out of your doctor's mouth? What do you wish people knew about what it's like now approaching the first anniversary since your child died? What do you wish people knew about what it's like to know that your family member took his own life? What do you wish people knew about what this is like for you? And you'll get all kinds of answers. Well, when you ask what do you wish people knew, they'll tell you what they wish you knew. And that allows you to understand where they are and really serve them better. So speaking of serving clients better, why is it really critical uh, for financial advisors to really understand how important it is to build long-term relationships through these types of skills? These types of skills are becoming absolutely vital going forward because there are hundreds of thousands of financial professionals in the United States who know what to do with the money in the world. 
And it's not just the United States. There's hundreds of thousands of financial advisors who know what to do with the money. Clients don't, they're looking for more because if all you can do is the money and they find another advisor who can do the money but also knows how to talk to them as a person. They find another advisor that they feel comfortable with because they get them. They understand their life. They are there for them in ways that other people aren't, maybe even their friends aren't. Who's going to get the business? It's going to be the ones who have learned the skills of grief support, how to walk their clients through the difficult times. That is who's going to get the business hands down every single time. But it's hard for financial professionals to get that kind of information because it's not built into our systems. It's not built into the certification and the designation programs. It's not built into the training that they usually have to get. So it's harder to get that kind of training, but it's going to, it's going to define success going forward. So in your presentation, you often share a sort of a series of steps that helps advisors think through this process. And the first one is, you say, take the call. Can you just walk us through, okay, the call comes through, we take that call. What are the next steps along that, that, that line? Absolutely take the call and remember what they need is to tell their story. So if they call and tell you Jim died last night, then you say, oh my gosh, what happened? Who was with you? How did you find out? You invite them to tell their story. Or if it was a long illness, you can say, well, I'm not really surprised. We all knew this was coming, but wow, now that it's over, what is that like? Does, that, does it seem like there's this huge gap in the world? Or who's with you now? What is happening now? You ask the questions to allow them to tell the story. Then you offer to do things. What can I take off your to-do list? What do you have? Maybe there's some phone calls that aren't so personal that I could make for you. Maybe I could arrange to have people picked up at the airport when they're coming in for the services. What could I take off your to-do list that might make this a little easier for you? You go to the services if there's any way. It's not always possible. A lot of times uh, financial professionals have clients that are in a different state or a different country or, or the professional is on vacation and they can't just stop vacation to fly back for the funeral. If you can go, then absolutely go. And the most important thing to bring to those services are memories and stories. What do you remember about that person? What, what impact did their life make on you? That's what people remember afterwards. And then follow up all along the way. They come into the office, you ask questions. They come into the office and you, you find out what's going on with them now, even if it's months down the line. You send cards, you send little gifts, you let them know that you understand their grief is not over in a day or a week or a month and you're there with them for the long term. Now what happens if a client starts to break down and cry in an office? I, I know my first reaction would be to grab the box of tissues. Now help us understand why that could be a good thing or it could be a bad thing. If you are too quick, well even if, even if it's not too quick, if you are handing that box of tissues to your client, first of all you're taking them out of control because they have to take one. doesn't matter if they want one or not, they have to take one. But the bigger reason not to is the unconscious message behind that box, which is stop it, dry your tears, use this. You're making me uncomfortable. Not every client will hear that, but too many do to risk it. 
In support groups that I facilitate, sometimes they call it the shut-up box. They know if you're handing them the tissues too fast, you can't handle the tears, you can't handle the pain, they have to dry it up for you. So from then on, when they come into the office, they're going to do all their crying elsewhere, they're going to come in, they're going to paste on the smiley face and pretend everything's just fine. And when they find somebody else who is comfortable with it, they're out the door. So you don't want to be handing them the tissues. You want to just have the tissues there. In fact, I recommend that people, that offices make tissues part of the office decor. Get a beautiful tissue box cover and have tissues at the front desk, have them in the waiting area, have them on the advisor's desk, have them in the conference room, any place the clients might be, have the tissues there. And then if they start to weep or the, they start to sniffle, you just say, oh, you can use our tissues if you'd like. It's up to you. Then they know they're in control and they know it's okay. They're comfortable. They don't have to dry them up for you. I love this phrase that you have of, of advisors as being grief companions. Um, so I'd love for you to just explain that idea a little bit more and then perhaps help us understand where does the job of a financial advisor as grief companion sort of end and where does professional grief counselor begin? Sure. I get asked that question a lot. One thing people need to understand, and is what widely misunderstood in this country, is that your job is not to cheer them up. Your job is to companion them wherever they are. And that's why we ask questions. What we tend to do, we're a society of fixers. We want to fix it. We want to make them better. We want to make them happy. We can't. You can't fix it. What we end up doing, because we want to fix it, is we focus all on the happy side. Well, at least he's no longer suffering. Well, she's in a better place. Well, at least you've got other children. Well, you've got, you've got these advantages. You've got those advantages. You should be grateful. You should be happy. We're trying to cheer them up, which lets them know we can't handle the pain. We can't handle the other side. They need authenticity. They need to be able to share both sides of it they need to be able to come in and say, this is a lousy day. Instead of saying, how are you? Say, what kind of a day is this? Is this an up day? Is this a down day? Or is this an all over the place day? Where are you at today? And you can ask that six months, eight months, two years down the line. To be there for them wherever they are and to find out what that is. Most people get through grief okay. It is difficult, it is painful, it is emotional. But most people do heal on their own. That being said, it's not a bad idea to talk to someone, a grief coach or a counselor, or to go to a support group, someone who has some objective experience that doesn't have the baggage of family, that knows something of what they might be going through that might be able to help them. So another thing I recommend for offices is to do the legwork for the clients. Create a branded sheet of some of the support groups in the area, some of the grief coaches and counselors. You can ask the hospitals who they refer people to. Ask the churches who they refer their people to. Ask the hospices if they run a support group or who they refer people to. Get some credible sources, and then you give them to every grieving client. Just say, this might be helpful to you. If you need somebody to talk to or if you just want somebody to talk to because it's there's an element of healing that's a choice you want to heal you want to get better so these are some ways that you can 
that gives you an out too if you do start to suspect the client really needs more help than you can give, especially if you suspect clinical depression might be setting in. They can't get out of bed in the morning. No grieving client wants to get out of bed, but sometimes they just can't get out of bed in the morning or they come in, normally they'd be very well appointed and they come in disheveled or they're not taking care of themselves or they gain or lose a lot of weight very quickly or any of the warning signs that says maybe this person really does need help, then you can refer back and say, I'd love to spend more time with you, but I think some of those resources, remember I gave you that sheet? If you lost it, I'll, I'll give you another one. It might be helpful to, to talk to some of those resources. The strongest clients I have have taken advantage of resources like that. And you know what, even if you don't want it, maybe some of your friends do, maybe some of your kids do, maybe your parents do. But I'd, I'd really recommend that you check out some of these resources. We'd like to help you put the pieces back together in any way that we can. One of my takeaways today was the, uh, the understanding that grief is not linear. And when we talk about resources, many people fall back into the, you know, the, the five stages of grief and how it should go, progress from one to the next to the next. Talk us through a little bit about why that may not be the best approach when it comes to grief. Grief is not linear and it's not predictable. The Five Stages of Grief was created by a Swiss psychologist, Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, in 1969. Although even when she created them, she wrote a book on death and dying and studied the emotional processes dying people go through when they find out they're dying. She did not call them the stages of grief. She reinforced several times they're not the stages of grief. You have to let go of everything, including life itself, in order to die. It's a lot longer when you're the one that's surviving and you've got to go on. So the stages of grief don't really apply to the long term to the grieving process. Plus, that was 1969. We've done so much research since then. We talk about tasks people need to accomplish as they grieve. We talk about the behaviors they experience when they, when they grieve. It is not linear. It is not predictable. Not everybody experiences the same thing. Far from it, even if they do. It's not a straight line like you're, you, it happens and then you gradually get better, 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 better until you're all better. It doesn't happen that way. It's sort of like if you look at the stock market. You look at the long-term uh, path of the Dow Jones. It's long-term, it's kind of linear. But in between, it's up and down and back and forth and all over the place. Well, grief is more volatile than the stock market. So even though people do gradually heal over time, if they're facing it and doing the hard work of grief, there's a lot of volatility in between. Not every person is going to experience the same thing. Not everybody's going to go through it in a linear progression. Sometimes your client's going to feel like they're taking three steps forward and two steps back because that's the nature of grief. That's what happens. You expect that. Now, death, loss, and transitions are, are difficult conversations. Uh, and I so appreciate you coming by today and sharing your insights with us. Uh, and thank you so much for watching. Copyright 2018, CFA Institute, All Rights Reserved. This program is designed to give accurate and authoritative information in regards to the subject matter covered. It is distributed with the understanding that CFA Institute is not engaged in rendering legal, accounting, tax, investment, or other expert advice. If legal advice or other expert assistance is required, the services of a competent professional should be sought.